Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I don't know about you, but this last week was a real roller coaster for me. Ups and downs, inside out, twists and turns, and you just wondered what end was up at points. There were times that I got a little confused with it all. In fact, I came home one evening, and Connie said to me, you're distracted. I said, yeah. She says, what's distracting you? And I named two or three or four or five different things. She said, okay. I mean, no, you're going to be all right. No, God is good all the time. No, don't worry about it. None of that. She says, okay. Now, when I get distracted, when I wonder what's going on in my life, I look for truth. I look for something that's stable, something that doesn't change, something that gives to me a platform that I can recognize in my lives. And, and many times I, I go back to the, the scriptures that I've memorized, the, the scriptures that mean a lot. Pastor John just led us in Ancient of Days. And one of the courses that I really enjoy is ancient words. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound from God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope. Give us strength, help us cope. In this world, where we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Holy words of our faith. Handed down to this age, come to us through sacrifice. Oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. And one of the places I went was to the Psalms, Psalm 100. I printed this on the screen because I want to read it together this morning. I want it to impact all of our lives. Now, this is all introduction. This is all free, all right? Because I want us to be encouraged together, and then we're going to apply these truths, I think, to our culture and where we find ourselves in our culture. Read this with me, will you please? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, as I read that passage of Scripture, my mind was focused on a couple of things. First of all, my mind was focused on an attitude. You ever get an attitude? I had to apologize to someone yesterday for my attitude. I was just struggling with some stuff, and there were a lot of things that uh, I, I, I had to do at that point, and I, I, I just had to, it was my fault. I mean, just attitude, right? And sometimes we struggle with activity. And the psalmist addresses both of these. 
He talks about our attitude. He says, joyful, gratefulness, praise. Is that your attitude? Even when your world is on a roller coaster, even when you don't know which end is up and you find yourselves upside down, our attitude ought to be an attitude of joyfulness, gladness, and praise. Can I get an amen this morning? Now that leads to our activity. And look at this. Singing, give thanks, blessing the name of our God. That's what ought to flow from our attitude. Because when we recognize God's work in our hearts and understand that God is God, we ought to have a great attitude. This morning I'm sitting in my office at my desk working my way through some stuff and and my phone starts to ding. Now, it's dinging because I'm receiving texts. Sometimes it whistles at me. And the text dealt with a family issue that we were going through, and Connie and my kids were texting back and forth and back and forth, and I sent out one response. That's all I could handle this morning. And the response was simply this. Praying for you. Keep focused on truth and let the light of God's word guard your heart. Attitude. Activity. And it's all centered around God. And the psalmist addressed that. And I want you to look at this up here. God, in a very special way, we need to understand that he is Lord. The word Lord is Jehovah, self-existent one. God is not affected by news cycles. God is not affected by our culture. God is not affected by all the stuff that comes into our life. Why? Because he is God. He is Jehovah. He exists in and of himself. Amen? The Lord, Jehovah, he is God. Underline that in your lives. Not only is it who God is, who we are. Think about this. Notice the pronouns. We are his people. We are his sheep. And as his people and as his sheep, he is committed to take care of us. I love the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I need to know. The Lord is my shepherd. He's going to meet all of my needs. Why? Because he's Lord. He is God. He is the self-existent one. And the psalmist then goes on to say what we know. The Lord is good. We've said it already this morning, haven't we? God is good. And all the time. We know that, don't we? We've experienced that. And how do we understand his goodness? We understand it through his steadfast love, his mercies. They're forever. Think about that. They don't follow days and weeks and months. They're forever. It's because of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. They're forever. And not only do we see his steadfast love, we also see his faithfulness. His faithfulness to all generations. 
I talk to my parents, 92 and 94, and they talk about the faithfulness of God. My kids talk to Connie and me, and we talk about the faithfulness of God. Their kids talk to them. They talk about the faithfulness of God. Every generation has seen the faithfulness of God. And you and I in this upside-down world need to look for the faithfulness of God. It's a truth that stabilizes our hearts, that gives to us a platform on which we can build our lives that doesn't shift around. Now, let me give you a take-home truth. And here it is. No matter where we find ourselves in our lives, our attitude drives our activity And we must always focus our attention on God. Our attitude drives our activity, focused our attention on who God is, his steadfast love forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen? So when you find yourselves upside down, when you find yourselves unsettled, When you find yourselves not knowing what's next, what's going to come around the corner, recognize the wonder of our God. Now, we turn to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And Paul is talking to us how we live out that wonder in our work. If you look at the title of my message, it's Witness While You Work. Now, some of your minds may have gone to whistle while you work. That's all you got. All right? Now, now you know whistle while you work came from a Disney movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Sneezy, bashful, sleepy, happy, grumpy, doc, and dopey. And Snow White is trying to help these Folks who who are used to working in diamond and ruby mines, boy, that'd be a great place to work, wouldn't it? Help them understand that even in the mundane chores around the house, they can find satisfaction and enjoyment. Now, you and I in the mundane workaday world need to recognize we can discover real opportunities to witness and declare the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the big picture this morning. Our work ethic is one of the greatest ways to honor God and live out the gospel. You say, well, I'm retired. You're still working. I have talked to retired people that are busier now than they were when they had a, had a paying job, right? You're still working. And your work ethic, wherever it is, provides for you a great opportunity to honor God and live out the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about today. Let's read our text. It's just the first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So you follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better. 
because those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, I want to look at a couple of terms here because we might find a little bit of discomfort. Paul says, those who are under the yoke. A yoke was simply a device that allowed you to get some help in pulling together and moving a load. And what Paul is saying here, those that you are coupled with, those that you are pulling with, those that are on your team ought to be those who help you pull the load. Ought to be those to help you make progress. This is not demeaning. This is not derogatory. This is not abusive. This is simply talking about those who share together in the work. Jesus said something about a yoke, didn't he? He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke. Let's pull together in this thing. Upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for yourself. You know, when we're pulling the same way Jesus is pulling, there's not going to be a lot of strain and stress and strain. And when you're pulling the same way the team is pulling, you're going to be able to get the job done. So don't let that word yoke distract you. The other term that you need to understand is bondservant. If you have a King James, it's translated servant. If you have an NIV, it's translated slave. Now, we here in the United States of America have to go back and deal with the reputation of slavery. That's not what this is talking about. Even as you look into the Old Testament, you discover that there were indeed slaves. And there were those who were brought under the authority of, of others. The Old Testament never forbade slavery, but it did guard the rights of slaves. There were religious rights. There were civil rights. There were economic rights. And as there were servants in the Old Testament, the families stayed together and the families pulled together. And so, so please don't discount that. The word is doulos. And it has the idea of a person who is responsible to another who is accountable. Jesus Christ is called the doulos. For he took upon himself the form of a slave, a servant, and was made in the likeness of, of man as he humbled himself and became obedient. Peter says, live as doulos, servants of the living God. Paul himself says, I am a slave, I am a doulos of, of Jesus Christ, an apostle of the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 5, we are called to be doulos, servants of one another. So don't let that distract you. Because it simply talks about one who is responsible to another, one who is accountable to another, one who has an authority, who directs their lives. And you know we all have that, right? Even the president said, I serve the people. And if we had more of our leaders who were doulos, servants of the people, we'd be better off. Sorry, that was an editorial comment. But it's true. We all serve, right? 
I am to serve my wife. That does not belittle me. That gives to me an opportunity to make a difference in her life. So we talk about the terms. We also talk about our testimony. And I want you to notice something at the end of verse 1. Will you please? So that the name of God and the teaching, the doctrine, may not be revived. Why do you do this? You serve this way, yoked together, underneath the authority of those that God has placed over you, so that the name of God is lifted up. It's all about God, right? Pastor John quoted for us 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. And you and I need to take the name of God seriously. After all, we're called Christians, aren't we? Ones of Christ. And we need to be very, very careful that we do not discredit the name of God. Either with our words or with our work. The name of God is too precious. It's too valuable. And Paul in writing to Timothy says, in your work, make sure that you're representing the name of God well. Because it's all about who he is. It's respecting him for what he has done in our lives. Not only is it about the name of God, it's also about the teaching of God, the doctrine of God. It's about living out the truth of God. You know how easy it is to become discredited? That happens to me so often. And it's so easy. During the first hour, a couple of things happened. Number one, I came to the platform with my clear mask on. And I had to very quickly run down, take off my mask, and come up here and do the announcement thing. The second thing that happened is I remembered that I had printed the words to ancient words and had left them on the copier this morning. So, dumb me, right? left the worship center to go get the words off the copier. I got into the, to the lobby area, you know, mask in, mask out. And I said to one of our guys, where's your mask? He said, where's yours? I said, touche. You're absolutely right. And it is so easy for us to discredit our own testimonies. And it goes as far as discrediting the truth. You know, people are very quick to pick on that which you're not consistent at. And you know they're right. Now, we could whack it right back at them and say, well, well, that's not the point. I can only take care of me. I can only be consistent with me. I can only control me. And Paul is cautioning those who are under the authority of others, those who are serving with others, yoked together with others. Be careful. Respect the name of God enough to do what God has called you to do. Don't discredit the truth of God, don't be inconsistent. When you're living out the book, live out the book, and that's all the time in our lives. 
You know, we really ought to think of the word Christian as a noun, an identifier of who we are. Because we cannot separate the sacred from the secular. We should not separate Jesus from our jobs. We need to make sure that we are living out truth even when we're doing the tasks of life. I ran across this blog this past week, and it, and it just was an encouragement to me. It says this, one way to avoid the sacred-secular divide is to remember that Christian works better as a noun than as an adjective. For instance, there's no such thing as Christian coffee. Even if it's served in a cafe entitled Grounded in Christ or being redeemed. Or if it's made by a company that promotes their product as Shadrach, Meshach, and a bean to go. Uh, by the way, that company does exist. It's out of Lake Orion, Michigan. Christian works better as a noun. There are Christians... And some of them make good coffee and some of them make lousy coffee. The writer goes on to say, the same is true for filmmakers, musicians, nurses, dentists, and almost any vocation you can consider. If you put your faith in Christ, you are a Christian. And you are called to steward whatever the Lord has entrusted to you vocationally, whether a scalpel or an electric guitar. Pursue excellence in your character and in your craft because it's about your testimony, uplifting the name of God and not discrediting the truth of God. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes in the workplace, that's a real test, isn't it? And so, Paul addresses that. Back to verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke of bondservants, here it is, regard their own masters as worthy of honor. No matter who your boss is, regard, have an attitude and activity that they are worthy of respect, compliance, obedience, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your responsibility, regardless of your position, regardless of what they've asked you to do or haven't asked you to do, Paul says, regard them of having a place of worthy of honor. Paul has talked about giving honor, right? In chapter 5, he said, honor the widows. Give them a place of respect. Also in chapter 5, he says, let the elders, we looked at this last week, right? Let the, let the elders be, be worthy of double honor, place of respect. Because of what God has called them to do in their life. You know, God has called your boss to be your boss, right? Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, right? You say, well, I don't like what I'm doing. Find another job. 
God encourages us that we are to give worthy of honor. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your own manners, your, your own masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, right? Name of God, teaching of God, truth of God, doctrine of God. When mindful of God, when one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? (laughs) You deserve it, don't you? If you speed and get a ticket, you deserve the ticket. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might walk in his steps, follow in his steps. If Jesus was able to do it, what an example that gives to you and me. What a pattern for our lives. What an illustration for us to follow. Now, what if your boss is a brother or sister in Christ? Verse 2. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Just because you're working for a brother in Christ doesn't mean that you have a right to get away with stuff. There's a higher standard here because you're part of the family. You both recognize the glory of God as the ultimate responsibility in your life. And we must recognize that. Just because you're working for a Christian doesn't mean that you can slough off. All the more. Because as we work We benefit the good service of believers and brothers, and we lift them up. And we all get to live out the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great? To know that our focus is to witness while we work. And that's key. Now, this morning, I want to take just a little time and give you a theology of work, all right? Because I think it's important that we understand work from a biblical perspective. The first thing that we recognize is that work was instituted by God. Back in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, God put Adam in a perfect environment to do what? To keep and to till the garden. Now, I remind you that Genesis chapter 2 comes before Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, the sin of man, the violation of God's truth by man. And it was before that that God gives instruction to man to keep and to till the garden. Now, there were some complications that came into this world after the fall. Thorns and thistles sprung up. Man now has to work by the sweat of his brow. I wonder if Adam sweated before Genesis chapter 3, the fall. I don't know. 
But work was instituted. It's a good thing. Work is not something that God put in our lives to punish us. It's the creative design of God for the fulfillment of man. And work's a good thing. We ought to stay active. Work is also an obligation of the child of God. John MacArthur says, a Christian sees everything he does in reference to his relationship with God. There is no aspect of life or conduct, however apparently insignificant, which should not be directed to the glory of God. I love Ephesians chapter 4. And tucked in the middle of some truth on communication, we read these words. Let the thief steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that he may have to give to him that has need. When I'm using that verse of Scripture, after I've talked with people about communication, I'll ask them a question. When is a thief not a thief? The answer I usually get is when he's not stealing. And my response is, no, he's only unemployed at that point. A thief is not a thief when he's working with his hands so that he might benefit. That's why we do it, right? It's our obligation to benefit others. We don't deserve a thing. We experience God's grace and God giving to you and me what we don't deserve. We do deserve a lot. And it's God's mercy and not given to us what we do deserve, right? But as, as believers, we have a responsibility, an obligation, if you will, to work for the glory and honor of God so that we're not stealing from other people. And when we're not doing our best job, we're stealing from other people. Work is also an opportunity to represent the gospel. You remember where Jesus talked about salt and light? He, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, lest we think that, world, that uh, work is somehow hidden from God's venue, may I remind you that Jesus said, you don't take a light and put it under a basket. You don't hide it. But you put it out there for everybody to see, right? That's the gospel. You don't take a vacation from the gospel when you go to work. You have an opportunity to live out the gospel while you are at work. And work gives to us the privilege of representing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the goodness of God in our lives. And that's our testimony, is it not? And work helps us know the faithfulness of our God. God will take care of you and God will take care of me if we are faithful to him. There's this thing called the divine human cooperative. Divine human cooperative simply means this. 
We have in divine instruction from God that we are to cooperate and fulfill in our lives, and God then finishes the rest. That's us and God working together to know his faithfulness, his truth to all generations, his working in our hearts and in our lives. Folks, that's just practical practical counsel from God's word that allows us to stabilize our lives because work is is not something that's to come and go if we feel like it, we don't feel like it, if it's convenient, if it's not. Work is to be part of our everyday lives for the honor and glory of God. Because it gives us an opportunity to witness while we Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. (laughs) One day we're going to leave this world and it's going to be done, right? So while we can, we need to witness. And that includes in our work environment. This week was unusual. I'd just soon not have another week like this past week. I mean, things changed so rapidly, and I had no clue what was going to happen next. And, and that's not just with the news cycle. There are a lot of those kinds of things in my life this past week. But the thing that kept me going is to recognize that God has given to me a responsibility to work with those who are with me and pull toward the glory of God. To be under his authority. Because it's all about the name of God and the testimony of truth being worked out in my life. And so I say it again, God is good, and all the time, 